0: The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers. And do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. All rise.
1: Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report.
2: Good morning. It's good to be back after a short vacation, and um, we have a great show for you here. Um, please be seated. My, this is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center talking to you live from our media center here in Santa Monica, California, looking over a, a beautiful day here in California as usual, and um, we have a, a great show for you today. We're going to talk about – in. Fittingly, um, coming just after Labor Day, we're going to talk about the intersection of social media and employment law. And um, in light of there's been a recent report by the National Labor Relations Board on a number of cases it has had um, involving – the intersection of social media and employ and labor law and um, have in some cases employers have overstepped um, the bounds of a law in, in enforcing their social media policies. And so we have um, a distinguished guest with with you today, um, Andrew Slobodin, who's a, a partner at, um, at Wildman Herald that's soon to become um, the a much larger uh, Angel Wildman Herald in um, based in uh, as they're about to merge with uh, the firm of Edwards and Angel. And um, Andrew is a, a, it focuses his practice on um, social media law and employment law. And he's a partner with the firm. And um, so he's going to walk us through a little bit about the um, NLRB um, report and also um, give us some insight as to common areas in which tech companies often trip up in uh, when it comes to employment law. So, um, In Labor Day week, we have a special employment um, loss uh, report for you. Um, Before jumping in, I just want to give you a couple of updates on some of the developments that we've been following over the course of the year, and one of them involves the Amazon tax up in Sacramento. And you may recall that Amazon, um, the California Governor Brown, signed in into law. Um, as part of the budget, um, the enactment of the Amazon tax in California, and Amazon has retaliated in, in many ways. One, Amazon and many others have, have pulled out of the state vis-a-vis um, selling through um, in-state and affiliates um, in an attempt to avoid the tax. In addition, Amazon has taken the unique approach in California of actually um, putting together a ballot proposition And um, they've submitted the proposition for approval and will will be seeking signatures to qualify the ballot for next November, um, the proposition overturning the uh, Amazon tax. And so while they're doing that, in Sacramento, um, the the chess game is continuing. Um, You have a a move going on in the legislature to uh, actually repeal the Amazon tax, but then reenact it at the same time, but under a, a procedural rule known as an emergency legislation. Uh, emergency legislation takes effect right away, and um, but more importantly, emergency legislation cannot be repealed by ballot proposition. And so that would thwart the Amazon initiative. Well, Amazon has responded um, with their own chess move, and they are all made a proposal to locate several distribution centers in California when bringing several thousand jobs to the state um, in exchange for a more or less a, a two-year ceasefire on the sales tax issue. And so we have in this economy that, that's, that, that creates a, a definite um Hard choice for the the policymakers in terms of do you choose jobs or do you choose the revenue, which was substantial according to some estimates. So we'll be following that and keeping you up to date. But um, the uh, people on the other side of the issue, um, the the retailers, um, the brick-and-mortar retailers, primarily led by Walmart, um, have not taken too kindly to that proposal. They don't see it as a very serious proposal, but I've yet to see anything um, definitive by the um, by the Brown administration on what, what their views on that. Um, and then another one, one other issue, just to plug before we jump into our show, is um, obviously there's a very important election coming up um, next November, but there's also one um, coming up this week. Um, the all-important ABA Blog 100 um, is accepting nominations through Friday, and um, so we, we just want to remind you, if you would be so kind as to um, pay a visit to the um, ABA Blog 100 and nominate your favorite blog, um, legal blog, which would be um, Cyber Report, of course, um, and we will post a link for you um, to help you to do so, but um Enough um, self-promotion there. So, um, Andrew, are you with us? Yes, I certainly am. Um, thank you for joining us. I hope I didn't butcher um, too much the new name for your firm.
3: Oh, not a, not a problem. It's uh, Edwards Wildman Palmer. Uh, it's Edwards uh, Edwards Angel Palmer and Dodge, which is a uh, traditionally a Rhode Island slash Boston based firm, and now I would like to say that the new center of gravity is here in Chicago, but. Uh, uh, you know that's to be determined, um, and it is a beautiful, beautiful day here in Chicago as well. And I look forward to talking to you.
2: Thank you. And uh, you know, I've always have been highlighting you know the the very quiet and stealth-like but ongoing um, effort by um, plot by, for Rowland for Rhode Island World domination. So um, <laughs> we're slowly getting there, it seems, with this merger. But um, I, having just, I just came back from there, and actually, I hope. Hopefully I won't be slipping into an accent my Rhode Island accent during the show. But um so Andrew I, I'm thank thank you for coming on and there's been a lot of um buzz about this um, NLRB report. And wh- why don't we start off by, well, first of all um, just um let's play lawyer for a second. Andrew is here um and he is a partner in this firm but the views here are his own. Um, these The views he gives here are for informational purposes and entertainment purposes and not necessarily meant to be relied upon as a legal opinion. And um, neither are they sponsored by Major League Baseball or National Football League. So um, having said that, or two out of three denses, I think. Um, Andrew, um, what is the NLRB? So let's start there.
3: Yes, and thank you for starting there because I think to understand this report – it's very important to understand a little bit of the structure of the NLRB um, because that—that's the only way to really understand its importance. So, if you'll excuse me for being, giving a little bit of the National Labor Relations Board. Um,
2: oh no, quite all right.
3: Background here. Is this report was issued by a guy named Leif Solomon, who is the acting general counsel of the National Labor Relations Board. He's in Washington. He's only in place until you can fill me in here until you know the, hes a—he's a recess appointment until the recess appointment expires, and he is essentially the chief prosecutor for the National Labor Relations Board. And so traditionally the, you know the NLRA, the National Labor Relations Act, which was passed in 1935, um, puts a lot of power in the general counsel. and since then they've been issuing what's called general Counsel memorandum, which this is one, which essentially says when they, let me step back even a little bit more here, the General counsel sits in Washington and the various regions of the National Labor Relations Board, go to them for advice, or the Washington basically imposes advice on them. And the issue that Leif Solomon decided to take up was social media. Um, because of all the um, hoopla surrounding social media recently, which I am uh, for a member of the Hoopla Committee for Social Media. Um, <laughs> so, so, so that's what he's issued here. But the reason I give that background is because he is just the chief prosecutor. He is not the National Labor Relations Board. So essentially, what he is saying is, which cases have he advised the re- various regional offices of the board, as it's called, uh, to go forward to issue a complaint and have a trial over? Um, and so that's what this is about. And it basically tells you, to the extent that there's any kind of, you know, clear advice in there as to what his opinions are, and his opinions are not to be discounted because he is the chief prosecutor and he's, um, you know, represents himself and the current standing of the board, but. The NLRB, as I'm sure you know, given the recent Boeing, you know, hoopla and everything, is a very political body. And so, traditionally, the way that actual decisions have come down is after the general counsel has decided to file a complaint, and after the administrative law judge issues a decision, the actual board will make a decision, and those are actually like court decisions. So, LACE is really just a, is really just an advice memorandum. That's what it's called. Um, And so the NLRB is composed of five members, traditionally, um, and they issue decisions, and then decisions from them go up to the circuit courts of appeal. Um, And so the decisions are made then, and the NLRB is an incredibly, incredibly political body, for reasons that anyone who follows labor law and the current makeup of the Congress would appreciate. Um, So... I'm happy to discuss, and I I look forward to discussing with this this General counsel memorandum, but in some ways, let's put brackets around it and realize that, to a large extent, it's a, and maybe history will tell, will speak to this, it's a who cares, almost. Because what really matters is what the NLRB decides, um, and and then it also matters what the uh, circuit courts decide. So, I guess with that, is the, the background I would like to give... Um, so, it's so specific- would it,
2: one way of looking at this really be a, a shot across the bow that you know, this this is something that um, basically policymakers in Washington are looking at, and where um, this report cited uh, potential oversteps of the law. Um, these are areas that you, that are potential landmines um, going forward, but nothing really has been adjudicated on that issue yet.
3: Right, The reason this is a big landmine is because for most NLRB matters, most of the employment world in the United States, especially like startups or whatever, could care less because, you know, union, they're like, I don't have a union, I'm not going to be unionized, so like, why do I have to care? But this decision uh, is a little known, impacts a little known area of NLRA, so the statutory regime that covers not just union employees but it also covers non-union employees. Okay. So that's why for instance, um I have been getting incredible amount of calls about this and I think why I'm speaking with you today is because every company needs to be to some extent concerned about this area. It needs to to um, focus on it going forward.
2: And so let's uh, why don't we take some of the examples? Um Sure. And uh so um there were certain things that they said you, you couldn't do because it was interfering with um workplace um kind of collective activity. Um you were interfering with the um, workers' right to comment, for example, on um, their work work conditions with fellow employees. Right. Um, so um well, what, what was wrong with that? What, what, basically, these are all examples of an employer having some, taking some action or having some policy based on their employees' use of social media. Yes. And so what, what are some of the things that they found to be outside the scope of the law?
3: Okay. Well, if you, if you read this memorandum, and I would say that this memorandum is not very helpful. It, it's an advice memorandum that doesn't provide a lot of advice. Um, simply because, as like any politician or political figure in which the general counsel is one, um, uh, you know, it kind of gives cases in which the employer was found at fault, and there are cases in which the employer was not found at fault. And the right. general tenor among the, the labor law community is, it's kind of hard to pierce exactly what his opinion is. But okay. to the extent I would go so far as to say what I think, what I got out of this, this long report this 24-page report is that Leif Solomon and, let's say, by extension, the Obama administration believes that um, social media is yet another, is just another location by which employees could engage in concerted activity. Um, I can guarantee He's just
2: protected you, protected by the, the labor laws.
3: Yeah, so let me step back a little bit to in terms of concerted activity, because let, let's this law is really, you know, social media, and I think you would agree, Bennett, is in some ways a very new, exciting area, and let's take it outside the employment law in general, but in some ways, uh, social media is nothing new, it's just another way of humans communicating, uh, of which, uh, like, email, I would say, is um, social media in some regards, kind of the forerunner to social media. Are you, are you with me there, or...? Right, yeah. Okay, okay. so, there is a whole slew, and that's an exaggeration, there are, there are cases at the NLRB discussing this, in, this specific issue in the context of email. So, for instance, an employee who sends out an email to his or her colleagues lambasting a supervisor or the employer or whatever, you know, is that protected? Because the law here, and let me, let's, let's just talk a little bit about the legal structure because it's important to understand where this is coming from, is that under the National Labor Relations Act, employees have a right to form a union or to get together as employees to form which is called concerted activity, okay? Collected concerted activity is the magic language in labor law, okay? And you don't have to do it in the context of a union. So, for instance, in my background, I was helping an employer who was an anesthesiology practice, of which they had highly, highly paid anesthesiology employees. Right. And one of them was lambasting. There was a group meeting of all the doctors, got together, and she lambasted the head of the practice, of which he fired her. Now, the the regional office here, Region 13 of the National Labor Relations Board, was going to go to complaint saying that she had a right to stand up and talk and complain about her employer. Um, There's also a case I dealt with, though, that was for a manufacturing um, entity in New Jersey, which had employees just complaining about supervisors. Uh, In both of those cases, the board had decided to go forward. So in some senses, this is just yet another one of those concerted activity cases
2: and and so the the message being that if you can't necessarily sanction your employees for griping on social media about your company, but what if it's if that's kind of the general proposition it, it appears?
3: Um, here's my, Here's my take on the situation and how where it should come out and um, so on the on the one hand. I would say that the law here is going to change, like every other National Labor Relations Act or board law, depending on who's in power. Correct. So so to the extent the Obama administration can actually get five sitting members of the National Labor Relations Board, of which I think we're down to two now, um, they are going to rule and find a lot of cases. Um, They're going to go to complaint, meaning the general counsel is going to go forward, and they are going to find against employers in, in, in various cases. Um, that a board, that a Republican GC or a Republican board would not. You know, what do we get from this in terms of what should employers or startups do? I mean, they don't, you know, my clients are not concerned about the intricacies of of labor law. They want to know basically what can they do, what can they not do. And they don't want to be told that, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, because uh, startups, I would say, are the the lifeblood of this economy. Um, and they are creative entities, and they want to know how... Th- they don't want to be told that they can't use social media. Um, and employ and their employees don't want to be told that they can't use social media. And indeed, the companies that I am most proud to work for, although I'm proud to work for all my clients, um, is uh, they encourage their employees to use social media because um, employees are the lifeblood of a company, if I can redu- reduce it for- further. Um so how do you balance the need and the desire to let your employees be social creatures and be creative creatures and, you know, promote your company at the same time? What do you do when bad stuff happens? Right. Um, and so this gets to the question that a lot of companies have been dealing with recently in terms of what happens when you get negative comments on Twitter, for instance, negative feedback on Twitter or negative feedback on Yelp. Um, what do you do with that? Um, so I would put this in in with that category
2: so um, if you're if you're advising a startup or if i'm a if I'm a startup in I want to adopt a social media policy
3: yes
2: how would this this um, memorandum impact you know what it is I say they can do and what it is I say they can't
3: what I would say to a startup is that is if you ask it is a great discussion to have because you know policies, drafting policies, review policies, sometimes make my eyes glaze over. And a startup, the last thing they want to hear about is let's get policies in place because they're too busy making money and being creative to um, to do that. And to some extent, they should be. But this is a, I guess the one exception I would put out there. Okay, yeah, one of the exceptions I would put out there would be a social media policy because it is a vital conversation to have. Because a social media policy, any policy to, to some extent, is kind of the constitution of a firm. And it, makes, it has the owners, the startup principals, think through these issues. So, for instance, if you look through this 24-page report by the, by the board, it has it struck down and find, found violations of a whole bunch of social media policies that were out there and, and IT policies. So um, one is I would encourage startups to talk to their lawyer, to talk to Bennett, and find out and to think through, (laughs) like, read these policies and and come up with a good social media policy and think through these issues, um, because it will be to, not only will it avoid liability, which is, you know, what every lawyer is screaming, but it's also, and it it, it can be a great business advantage.
2: And, um, but in terms of... um what in, if I want to stop? Um, if I want, if I want to control what they say, yeah. what, what, to what extent can I do that? As a, I can, if I if obviously if I have a rationale for why um, certain things shouldn't be said, for example, um, proprietary information. I mean, that's right. that's all stuff I, I still can um, prohibit them from talking about, uh, even under this scenario. Correct.
3: Absolutely, absolutely, and, uh, you know, that's why you need a policy, and the policy, one of the things it says is all the other policies we have in place or general rules of decorum and stuff like that need to be followed. Um, You know, we can talk, like, that includes thou shalt not sexually harass over social media, thou shalt not give trade secret information over social media and all that kind of stuff. Um, But I think the best way to... um, Get social media to be a positive, and not and to avoid the negatives, is to actually engage in a conversation or training or whatever you want with your employees um, to discuss these issues with them. And if you have good employees, and I would say that's the key to a startup or to a, any company is to have good employees, is to you know to include them in the discussion somewhat. Because um, generally, let me let me throw it out this way, and this is kind of my. One of my mantras is that, you know, hugs and kisses, in terms of employees, lead to dollars and cents. Um, So, you know, talk to your employees in terms of how to use social media properly, to advance the company, um, and and also in terms of, you know, reminding them, for instance, that their confidentiality, their NDA obligations still apply, and that they could be terminated for violating that, and to remind them of the negatives, but also to accent the positives, so... You know, the old carrot stick routine, I think, applies to social media.
2: Now, um, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about some of the examples and um, any questions the audience may have. But also, we'll talk about some common um, mistakes that startups and tech companies make in the area of employment law. And we'll be back with that after these messages. Brasco?
1: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors.
4: As you know, being an expert at f**k
2: What did she say?
4: requires lots of practice and a great tool. Think you could use some help with f**k? Whoa! You're not alone. Hundreds have used our tool to take their f**k. Performance to the next level. The
3: language!
4: Of course, we're talking about managing Facebook ads on Aquizio.
3: Oh.
4: Buy, track, manage, optimize, and report on media across all major ad networks. Visit Aquizio.com to get a demo today. Aquizio. Search social. Display one platform. Oh yeah. My
0: day is done. Time for happy hour Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced
1: track of the AdWords seminars for success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one stop shop for all your PPC needs.
0: Learn, optimize, connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now.
4: MySEOTool.com is your all in one SEO management resource. MySEOtool.com makes it easy to optimize and oversee all of your SEO efforts. Line-by-line detailed reports help you identify any problems and show you how to fix them. MySEOtool.com is completely automated. Once you use it, you will see a rise in your search rankings and traffic. Try MySEOtool risk-free today. Go to MySEOtool.com. MySEOtool.com.
0: Blog, blog,
1: blog. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're the talk of the town. WebmasterRadio.fm. Thanks for listening. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and
2: Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center, and we are talking about employment law and social media policies, and also employment law in general. Um, in this on this Labor Day week, um, and we have with us um, Andrew. You still here? Yes, I'm here. Okay, make sure you didn't run away. Um, <laughs> no, um, not yet. You did, haven't scared me away, Brett. You, you made a good point, I think, in talking about the the variable nature of. Um, labor law enforcement, and you know, it's interesting. You know, having lived in Washington and had and done regulatory practice, you, you when you hear people talk about an election, and they say, "Well, both parties are the same." Um, you when you see the actual imp- implementation of the bureaucracy you realize there's a vast difference. Um, And regardless of what the merits of those differences are, um, there really is a difference in approach under each administration um, in terms of enforcement of the law. And... um, you know for example you know the republicans take a less legatory approach and actually they have an advantage i think in terms of when they come into office i think it's easier for them to implement their agenda because they have the all they have to do is more or less slow down or or stop um the wheels that have been been moving under the democratic administration that may have preceded them and so to an extent you know they they achieve a lot very quickly because it's it's easier to um you turn something off. It's much harder to turn something on and then get it, um, you know, uh, up to speed and, and moving in a certain direction. And so, um, if so, for example, in this case, you know some of the pronouncements here as to what might be considered to be um, against the National Labor Relations Act. Um, you know, by an Obama administration, um, would most likely be uh, or may not be necessarily be um, prohibited under um say a um a Romney or a Perry administration if that should happen. Um, so God forbid may I say but oops. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, brother. But in um, <laughs> any event, um some of the things that they the report found was that um say for example, you t- you made an you made an example about um making comments that were uh, offensive or um, discriminatory, that, uh, that that necessarily wouldn't necessarily be protected under the law. And I think that was one of the examples that the report found, is that there was no protection for an employee's um, disparagement of um, disabled workers on the social media um, boards. and um, But um, discussion of actual work conditions um, was something that was protected.
3: Yes. Yeah. And that gets to the nature of what, how you prove a concerted activity case. So there's basically two elements. I'm going to try to put a non-legal speak, too, but there's essentially two elements of a concerted activity case to move forward. The first is you have to have concerted. So it means you get a group of. you have to have a group of employees who are acting together. So one thing that you could pull from this report is that the current administration is saying, so long as there's really group activity, so like, a bunch of the all, all the employees or more than one employee is griping about the same thing then you've got the concerted element but if you just have one employee looking out for his or her own interests you know there's a long line of cases that say that is not concerted so therefore that case fails okay um, and the second element or the second thing you've got to prove is that it's for again for some employment purpose or so in other words it's to um, Is regarding wages um, or hours or other terms or conditions of employment, which gets back to the wording of the act. Okay, so it has to be something work related. So, for instance, if I was to be, if, if you and I, uh, Bennett, worked at the same company and we were complaining about uh, the Republicans um, and we got fired, we'd probably be SOL there just because that's not for the, you know, the, for the benefit of our employer, so to speak. Right. But if we complained about our boss or we complained about the working conditions, then that probably would be protected. So it's got to be something work-related is the other piece
2: I, of it. It's interesting. The uh, the memo refers to an instance where an employee did not lose the act's protection when she referred to her supervisor by such terms as scumbag, which we all know that's a legal term of endearment. Um okay. As to the place of the discussion, the Facebook postings did not interrupt the work of any employee because they occurred outside the workplace and during non-working time. As to the subject matter of discussion, the comments were made during an online employee discussion of supervisory action, which is protective activity. Um, Regarding the nature of the outburst, the name-calling was not accompanied by verbal or physical threats, and the the board has found far more egregious name-calling protective. I'm kind of curious what that far more egregious name-calling is. but um, So that it's kind of what you said is that as long as your um, your comments are related to work and your working conditions, then you may be protected by the act. And as an employee, excuse me, as an employer, you have to allow your employees that latitude, it sounds like. Yeah, there's two...
3: That gets to a very important piece here. So let's assume that the general counsel can prove what I just said earlier in terms of and a bunch of employees getting together to gripe or complain about work work activities. That, that gets, you know, at least halfway there in terms of liability. There's two ways that an employer can then get out of it. Essentially, one is to show that the employees who were acted against because of their group activities, so in other words, we terminated someone for posting something on Facebook. Um, so... And let's say that that, the general counsel generally will not have a hard time showing that Facebook is a group activity. um, And 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 so long as the gripe was something to do with work, especially if you have a democratic general counsel, that'll Mm -hmm. get you the two elements that I just established. But there's two ways an employer can rebut that. One is to say that employee would have been terminated anyhow. And the way an an employer shows that, and in all these cases, I don't remember seeing any that actually proved it because social media is so new, but it's essentially to get out there what I call good comparables. So the employer shows, listen, we terminated someone else for violating something similarly. So it's not because this person was on social media or because they were griping about a work thing. We have this other thing where someone did something else. And so we have a history of doing this. And it's not to get at union activity, to get at concerted activity. Um, so that's one way to do it. Um, and an employer, the second thing is the curse words that you were mentioning, the, what you call the scumbag defense. Um, <laughs> under the scumbag defense, you can say that some, the actions of an employee were so outrageous that even if it was protected, you now lose protection. Um, and so that's what employers get to. And there's been some Republican um, circuit courts. Um, well, right, circuit courts are all impartial. But some, sometimes, dare we say, some of the ju- justices on their judges on there are... are um, you know, uh, have Republican leanings or whatever. So they have found that curse words and nastiness take it out of the act. And I and I and I would venture to say that, regardless of what Leif Solomon says here, some of these cases where they found a violation, circuit courts, certain circuit courts would find no violation because, you know, I can easily see a Republican judge saying that scumbag is outrageous and not allowed. But the other hand, other part you need to know is that. In board law, which goes back again to 1935, there is a whole slew of cases in which um, employers have tried to, say, use a scumbag defense, Uh, essentially that an employer was so horribly egregious to supervisors. And there's all loads of cases, like even, like, threats, like veiled threats, and using the F word, and screaming, all of which were found by boards going way back to not take protections away from employees, so it'll be interesting to see now with our new genteel, you know, population. I don't know. We can we can discuss about that um, as to whether where that's going to come out here, as to where the line is, as to so. For instance, you're allowed to. I would assume that you're not going to lose protections of the Act if you put an exclamation point, right? Right. So on the other hand, if you if you use, you know, absolutely every curse word, and you say I'm going to go home and I'm going to, you know. Do violence to you and your family. I would say that most courts, and perhaps even a democratic board, would say that is out, that is outside the boundaries and not allowed. It's the middle ground between there that's going to have to be um, come out in terms of case law.
2: So, so ultimately, this election coming up is about um, whether we have a pro scumbag and <laughs> LRBA board or or not, right? <laughs>
3: <laughs> um. Uh, you know, there's a lot of labor issues that are that are going on right now. Um,
2: now, let, let's shift gears ahead. a little bit. Um, oh, that was that was more of a just uh, a rhetorical comment. Oh, sure. But um, now, startups. You, I, I agree with your your characterization. They are an engine of economic growth um, and and critical to the economy. And but often they sometimes are. Or novices when it comes to some of the intricacies of um, labor law, and I think a, a common mistake that I've seen, and um, I'd be curious about any others that you may have seen, is that um, the classification—how employees are cl- or or um, individuals are classified in their relationship with a company—whether they're classified as contractors or employees, or whether they're classified as exempt versus non-exempt, which determines whether or not they get overtime. And this, is that a fairly common um, problem you see in, in the kind of startup and tech sector?
3: Bennett, you really um, nailed uh, exactly the two main issues that startups are facing in the in the, in the tech world. Um, I, exactly. One is independent contractors, in other words, versus employees. And the other one is exempt, non-exempt. And I can tell you that um, I mean, I'm heading out to California next week or the week after to advise a tech startup on specifically these two issues. And there's a huge, huge social media company that's, you know, come out of Chicago recently, which I have advised on the exact same issues. That, so it is not it's every tech company faces it, and there's very good reasons why tech companies face it. And, again, like social media policies, it, those are very important discussions to have with your legal-slash-business advisors.
2: So let's start with the first one, the, the issue of a contractor versus a, um, an employee. And this is, this is important for tax reasons. And it's, it's something the IRS actually reason. watches carefully, particularly in the tech sector because of the, the, common, the, the, the frequency in which companies trip up in this regard. And, and the key issue there would be is, is, um, how independent and the control the, that a company exerts over the individual
3: Right. The independent contractor versus employee issue is a very important one, first of all, because it's easily found out about. I mean, every, every employer essentially does some kind of calculus in terms of how much will it cost to fix this and to gain some certainty versus how, much, how likely is that, am I going to be found out. This issue is easily found, out, found outable because it, it impacts not just taxes, whether you take someone's taxes out and all that, but it also in terms of whether someone gets unemployment. And that's the way most companies get found out, is someone who leaves, files for unemployment, maybe just because they have no idea whether they're entitled to it or not, and then that, that agency in California or here in Illinois, wherever it is, uh, says, hey, wait a second here, the company's saying that you're an independent contractor and they didn't have to pay unemployment tax, you're not entitled to unemployment. And then they say, hey, wait a second here, this is a company, let's, let's do an audit of them. And there's loads of, I mean, I can tell you in, Chicago, in Illinois, the, our Department of Labor, Illinois Department of Labor, is having a field day at auditing tech startups. For this specific
2: and issue. what's what's I mean, we're going to take a break in a sec, but very briefly, what what is the uh, what, what type of penalties are imposed in that case?
3: There are penalties in California. Even you know, like, there's a list of six or seven. So you've got tax penalties and liability. You've got um, Department of Labor penalties. You've got um, there's just a whole slew of issues. I'm not. I mean. I can – it's something that perhaps is worth blogging about, but just take it take for granted right now that it can be a whole lot of problems for you if you get that wrong. And, and let me also step back a second here. Is, you know, so generally, there's two te- – you know, every – and even to make it worse, under every different law, under discrimination law, under tax law, under unemployment law, they all have different tests to determine whether someone is an independent contractor or employee. The IRS has, you know, like, double-digit tests, and it, it, it makes my head swim, and I, I live this stuff and breathe this stuff. So what does a tech a startup to do? It essentially comes down to what you said, which is control. So in the general day-to-day activities of this worker, independent contractor or employee, is he or she taking direction from the employer, or is he or she really independent doing and using his or her own discretion as to when to come to work, what to do, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the the test that I would say is is more helpful rather than the control test, although it's it's the main element of the control test, is what I call the duck test. So essentially, does this worker walk and quack like a duck or not? Walk or quack like an employee or not? And I think, you know, so for instance, if you have an executive assistant – who takes direction and all that, they are going to be a um, employee. Because they essentially executive assistants are, are generally employees. You know, like and so all these tests look at various what I would call duck factors. Does this employee worker, you know, have his or her own bona fide company? And I mentioned the bona fide because various because smart tech startup people are always like, well what happens if we have this person have his or her own company? and blah, 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 and work up all these different ways to make it, like when you were doing a tax deal, to make it legitimate. But this is not tax law. The, like, departments of labor and the EOC, whether or not they acknowledge it, have a duct test. So does it appear to be a legitimate uh, independent contractor relationship, or does it look and feel more like an employment relationship? And that is ultimately the conversation that I have with my clients.
2: All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking about ducks, employees, social media, and other um, fascinating topics after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors.
4: As you know, being an expert at f- <gasps>
3: what did you say
4: requires lots of practice and a great tool. Think you could use some help with f**k? Whoa! You're not alone. Hundreds have used our tool to take their f- performance to the next level.
3: The language!
4: Of course, we're talking about managing Facebook ads on Aquizio.
3: Oh.
4: Buy, track, manage, optimize, and report on media across all major ad networks. Visit Aquizio.com to get a demo today. Aquizio, search social, display, one platform.
1: Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for
0: eBrands.
1: Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Podcasting at the speed of sound. WebmasterRadio.fm, the flamethrower. WebmasterRadio.fm, we're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm.
2: And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly with Internet Law Center for the final segment of the Cyber Law and Business Report. And just a, a brief announcement. Um, there's been a lot of buzz this month about the um the final episode of All My Children, the long-standing soap opera that is coming to a close and is actually moving to the web. While we um while their fans I'm sure are mourning their loss, uh Webmaster Radio actually is is proud to have um The opposite to report. We um today at five o'clock, we will be airing the two hundred fiftieth show of Domain Masters. So five o'clock Eastern. um, Join us. It's not quite up to the uh, All My Children legacy yet, but um, you know, congratulations to them on the two hundred fiftieth show. And um, I hope you guys will tune in or d- download the uh, the podcast.
0: Ben, if in I could just, re- um, if I can just uh, chime in real quick. It's such a big deal. The the fact that that is the longest-running weekly podcast series we've had on the network. Uh, the fact that this lasted so long. The fact that we actually just recently re- uh, got the, the series uh, jump-started once again. And I can tell you, we're going to probably reach 500 at some point.
2: I don't doubt it. And, and the rumor is is that Susan Lucci will be on a future segment of that show. Erica but, Kane, um, God, can I tell you? You want to talk about somebody that
0: has lasted 30 years and still looks amazing?
2: I mean, she looks the same. She I mean, it's does? Incredible.
0: God bless. I mean, really. You want to talk about somebody that has lasted the test of time? Hopefully that show gets somewhere. I think it's going to find a cable network somewhere. It'll find a new home, I
2: think. Hopefully. Well, they're talking about it being online. But I just remember when I was in college um many many years ago um slightly after just after Abe lincoln was elected um <laughs> and they had the uh they had the wedding of uh god i can't remember luke i didn't even watch the show but they had luke the wedding laura. of luke and laura and my whole floor in college the dorm they they actually had a reception <laughs> they bought a cake and everything so oh, it's had god. a it's had, definitely had an impact in uh, in uh the american psyche so um But uh, good luck to Susan Lucci, and uh, you're always welcome on Cyber Law and Business Report. So tell your agent. Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, I'm sure we'll see if she tweets about us now. But um, getting back to employment law and the whole issue of – we've talked a little bit about the independent contractor issue. And it really is just – I think in general, you you get in trouble in the law when you, you try to be cute. When you try to pretend something is something that it's not, and I think that's that's really the heart of your duck test, right?
3: That's right, with the possible exception of tax law, but I am no tax expert, so no one take any tax advice from me. Whatever you do, nope. <laughs> but uh, that's it, right. In terms of employees, as a general principle for employment, how to deal with employees, and this goes way above just independent contractors, but like in terms of discrimination tests and all that, like you've got like always. If you can, take the high road and don't be cute. I've had employers who, you know, even to spare people's feelings sometimes, they will give an excuse to an employee that's not exactly true why they're firing or, you know, ending a relationship. And that comes back to haunt them. So just like in my personal relationships, I demand, like, genuineness, what's the word I'm looking for? Being genuine? Yeah, that works. You need to do that with your employees, too. To some extent, I'm not saying to be a jerk. In fact, I say... By being nice, there's a lot of good things that come from being nice to employees, and you can always frame things nicely. But don't get cute with employees because the law, in some regard, is stacked against employers. They will assume that let's protect the employee slash contractor.
2: Now, very briefly, because we're running short on time, but the uh, the issue of exempt versus non exempt in, in you know one minute or less. You know, wh- when is an employee exempt or non exempt in I know it varies by state, but you know, what, what are the kind of the key considerations? And that's
3: the other key issue for startups, and it's a, it's the more financially risky one, the, the one that they need to. There's more liability there because um, if if you're wrong and you make someone uh, exempt, in other words, you're not paying them overtime, they, you know, they and or all your other employees, and with the entire legal support of an administrative federal agency can come after you for uh, overtime pay for back to three years and penalties and attorney's fees and class actions happen. That's a big class action vehicle for smart plaintiff's lawyers these days. So I just want to address that um, because – and the issue to look at there, and I to, again to make this for the startup businessman who may not have legal training is um, – just because someone receives a salary does not mean that they are not entitled to overtime. So, again, let me just repeat that. Just because someone gets a salary or because the employee that worker, him or herself, um, does not want to get overtime does not mean that they are not entitled to it. Um, that's the issue to focus on here. And just because and an employee
2: it right now... It gets complicated so don't worry, when you're dealing your, with tech workers, to too, in California, because aren't there certain... Um, they have to be paid a certain amount in order for them to be exempt. Uh,
3: no. They, they, well, it, the answer is yes. It's a complicated issue. So there are certain things you have to look over. But you know, most workers, and there's an, also an IT exception. So a lot of startups are IT. So that has to be looked at as well. It's a very complicated issue. So I don't. I don't mean to overly generalize here. You know, maybe there's not a duck test for exempt, non-exempt. Um, but the issues that, that you need to ask yourself if you're, if this is your excuse for why you don't play certain employees overtime, one because they don't want it or two because they get a salary, that doesn't cut it then you need to call, call your lawyer and, and and explore further
2: no, I think that it is I think I, I agree with you it is complicated and it is one where that you have to check um, and I know in California that um, you know they, they, they're kind of detailed regulations um. And so let me um, qu- very quickly go to a question in the chat room. Brasco, do you have the question?
0: Yes. Uh, Brian Donovan asks, can you ask how one would challenge your status as an IC versus an employee?
2: Um, Andrew?
3: So, so I assume this question is coming from an employee. Um,
2: Oh, here we go.
0: He, he's referring to, like, if my boss calls me an independent contractor, but according to the legal factors I've read, I am an, a normal employee.
3: Yeah. Um, I'm kind of torn here because, on the one hand, I usually advise employers on how to deal with this issue. So I think as an employee, you have two concerns. One is you have a right to get what is coming to you. So. If you are entitled to overtime, I believe you should get it, Um, and I believe that you, as any human being, you you deserve to get what you want. But you have to, as any smart human being knows, you've got to be careful how you do it. So you could go to your uh, employer and say, "I've researched the law and I know I'm entitled to it." Blah 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 blah, and you may get overtime, and you may actually get it that way. But I would suggest, um, um, and I'm not referring to any company here, obviously, and, uh, and all the legal disclaimers that. Um, I could throw out here, are are now in place, Um, you probably don't want to be so aggressive about it because any relationship, including your relationship with your boss, um, is one of trust. And if you start going to your employer suggesting that you're going to sue this or that, um, that's not going to put you in good stead. Now, retaliation is illegal, all right? So, um, or arguably illegal, just like in other areas. Although this, you know it's yet to be seen whether you'd be protected in that situation. But I think you need to ask yourself, how do I address this issue with my employer in such a way that I'm not doing it in a threatening manner? I guess but that is my answer to you.
2: Then The, the, the issue too, it also would be, um, is looking at you know, what type of role do you assume? You know, what type of control do they have? Um, where, where do you work? Um, what do you control your hours? And, um, Things of that nature. You know, to what extent are you an independent contractor? How independent are you? And you know, if, if, for example, you tried to exert your independence, what would happen? And um, so, those are some of the things you might want to consider. Um, but you know, and I also say the be flip honest side, with
3: yourself. I mean, are you really so, an employee or are you an independent contractor? I mean, these, these go to larger issues in terms of your own one's own career. I mean, and there's uh, a benefit the too.
2: And of- like Independent contractor because yeah, they don't have taxes taken out.
3: Yes, but it's also more of a prestige issue. I also represent a huge government contractor here in Chicago that has loads and loads of professors and scientists um, and grad students and people you know educated people who are far smarter than me, and you know almost uniformly they do not want to be non-exempt because they don't want to be seen as a blue-collar worker. Only blue-collar workers get overtime. Um, so I encountered this a lot that. Often the biggest pushback is not, believe it or not, from the employers, but it's from the employees. They don't want to be seen as an employee. Um, they want to be, think of themselves as an independent contractor. And those are legitimate well, uh, issues to think about.
2: Well, Andrew, thank you very much. We're running out of time. Is there anything you want to um, plug in, any appearances or your website? Anything you want to tell us? How, how can we, What's the best way to reach you? The best way
3: to, to reach me and to find out what I'm thinking these days in terms of employment law, and the internet and social media is to follow me on Twitter, uh, and my handle there is a uh, labor law lawyer.
2: Well, thank you, Andrew, and um, we appreciate you having on. Be sure to check, follow him on Twitter, and be sure to go to the ABA Blog um, 100 and um, nominate um, Cyber Law um, Cyber Report um, from the Internet Law Center. And, um, damn, we have Susan Lucci on the other line, but we just don't have time to go to her. So um, maybe next week. But I hope you'll join us next week um, for Cyber Law and Business Report. Um, and be sure to check look for us on the podcast on Webmaster Radio and iTunes. And um, feel free to contact us with any suggestions for future topics. And anyone you might want to hear about, um, let us know. But it's always been a pleasure. Thanks for being here being with us today, and we'll be back next week from the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica. This is Bennett Kelly, Carter Jurin. Have a good week.